0: Can you tell if the surfaces in this kitchen are crawling with bacteria that could cause chronic arthritis? Listen. Can't, can you? You can't see it either. Wash surfaces, utensils, and hands frequently with soapy water while preparing food, especially when handling raw meats or eggs. Raw food may contain bacteria that can make you very sick or worse. One in six Americans will get sick from food poisoning this year, and roughly 3,000 will die. But you can keep your family safer by cleaning with soap and water as you go. Learn more about this and other important information. Check your steps at foodsafety.gov. That's foodsafety.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the U.S. Department
4: of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Thirty years after his last march in a college band, Parade enthusiast Fred Diaz took a big step. Soon after 9-11, he said, this is my calling, this is my time, and he formed the Alamo City Community Marching Band. Unlike Fred's college days, this band was for adults. Adults with experience or not, it didn't matter. This marching band was for doctors and lawyers, heavy equipment operators and plumbers. It was for anyone who shared Fred's passion for the camaraderie, the teamwork of a band playing and marching in step. This is Howard Budd, Jr. of Laity Lodge. Do you know your calling? Is this your time? What are you waiting for? What is your next big step in the high calling of our daily work?
5: Laptops, MP3 players, cameras, video games, cell phones. In times like these, schools can become a shopping mall for thieves. Don't become a victim of crime. Leave your valuable stuff at home, and if you do have to bring them to school, keep them with you. Write down their serial numbers, and don't flash expensive items around. Be smart. If you have something cool, there's a good chance someone else will want it, too. Keep cash and ATM cards in a secure place. And never give anyone your PIN number. And don't leave your school bag lying around where it can become a temptation to someone else. If you have something stolen, report the situation immediately. The sooner you tell someone, the better the chance you'll get it back. Visit ncpc.org to learn more about how to prevent school theft. That's ncpc.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council. This is Morning Inspiration with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. (laughs)
6: Dee <laughs>
3: Gospel program on expressions on his midweek news
6: Good
3: morning to you and yours.
7: They in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous. Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor, because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and
2: Israel shall be glad.
3: feel true.
7: Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1. Good
3: morning. This is your early morning gossip program. Morning Inspirations here on TalkShoe and Jam Radio. Good morning to you and yours. Thank you for listening and tuning in. This is the time now we go to our morning prayer Let's pray Heavenly Father we come before you this morning Saying thank you Thank you for one more day Thank you for keeping us and sustaining us keeping your angels around us And we lift up those right now Our children who getting ready to go to school today Lift up those commuters, Lord, that that all will be well. I pray there will be no incidents or accidents on the road. Thank
6: you,
3: Lord. Lord, lift up those who are homeless, those right now in the hospital and hospice. Lift up those, Lord, who are bereaved, bereaved, who lost a loved one last night or this morning. Mercy upon them, Lord. I think it good. We thank you. Oh, bless those, Lord, who who I need, Lord. Oh, lift up those right now in psychiatric hospitals everywhere. Lift up those right now who... Behind prison
6: walls,
3: it's about those members of those missions, one mission for it.
2: We pray that we pray for his safety.
3: our family, our friends, our church family, our neighbors for us, I pray for every pastor, every minister, every missionary, Lord, give us the script to carry on in this journey, and Lord, we thank you for your son. Get it your family. Bless your servant, Lord. Come through your will. Touch Vanessa, Lord. Touch your mind. Touch your heart.
8: The apostles creed we say that we believe that jesus's painful death was followed by a miracle we believe in god the father almighty we believe in jesus christ his only son our lord he suffered under pontius pilate was crucified died and was buried on the third day he rose again it seems obvious
9: to me that for the truth of christian faith the
8: resurrection
9: is decisive that's the reverend dr Christoph keller I'm Peter Wallace, and this is a new day of faith and hope. This is Day One.
1: Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's mainline Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. 2015, day one celebrates 70 years of faithful weekly broadcasts. Now, here's
9: our host, Peter Wallace, to introduce today's preacher. Thanks, Sherry. As we celebrate Easter and the resurrection of the Lord, we're pleased to welcome back the Reverend Dr. Christoph Keller III, who since early last year has been serving as interim dean and rector of Trinity Episcopal Cathedral in Little Rock, Arkansas. Chris is a graduate of Amherst College and earned his Master of Divinity from the Episcopal Divinity School. He also received a Doctor of Theology degree in Anglican Studies from General Theological Seminary. Chris, thanks for being with us again, and a happy Easter to you. Thank you, Peter, and happy Easter to you. Last week you introduced us to Trinity Cathedral, where you serve in Little Rock. What have been the highlights for you there as you've been serving as their interim dean? There's a personal piece of it that's been a highlight. My wife Julie and I were married
8: in Trinity Cathedral in uh, 1978, and so we actually met Mm. in Sunday school there as teenagers. And uh, so it's been a returning home. It's a community. Both of us have lived in Little Rock most of our lives, and it's a community that's full of people that we just care about. So
10: a lot of it's
8: uh, been reconnecting with with friends in a new way. It's been um, meaningful to me vocationally in that um, after 16 years in parish ministry, I left in 1998 to go back to graduate school. I thought that would be about a five-year hiatus. It took 10. <laughs> and so I, although I've been strongly involved uh, in parishes uh, throughout that time, throughout the time I was in school and and afterwards, it's not been in a, in a pastoral or leading role. Mm-hmm. And um, so I came back to a church that was meaningful to me uh, to do an extended interim i came knowing it was going to be at least a year and, and might last two it was a church that was um had experienced some turmoil and was in some financial difficulty and so i got to try out my old uh, skill set mm-hmm. and in uh, leadership and parish development and um uh, reengage uh, in the day to day aspects of pastoral ministry and um, I think that uh, I hadn't expected to do that again, and I'm glad that I got called to do that again. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I, I, even when I went off to graduate school, I still have always thought of myself vocationally a priest first, a scholar second, mm-hmm. and uh, just put that to the test in a, in a meaningful way. And it's, uh, you know, I, the parish ministry has um combination in the course of uh, a, a single day. The most sublime encounters with human beings, I think, that you can have, uh, along with just a lot of nickel and dime administration and petty stuff, and it's that combination that's the, the challenge of it. And, uh, and
9: You have a deep interest in theology and science. Later this year we will present a special day one series on faith and science in the 21st century Made possible by a grant from the John Templeton Foundation But why do you think it's important that we consider these great disciplines together? I think that one of the great God-given gifts
8: that we have is reason And reason is not satisfied if the different parts of our life don't fit together We can't split Our knowledge of one thing from our knowledge of something else and Mm -hmm. say, well, those two things, they're they're separate and they don't have anything to do with each other. So it's not just the case that uh, theology and science or faith and science, we need to affirm that they're not in some fundamental conflict, which is important enough, but it's that they have to be integrated. I mean, we're not going to be satisfied until we have a comprehensive understanding of the world around us, why we're here, and what our responsibility is in light of that understanding. And Christian faith is, if nothing else, a comprehensive understanding of why we're here and what our responsibility is. And so integrating that with the knowledge that we have about everything else, including the natural sciences, just seems to me to be a requirement of the church. Mm -hmm. And I found myself in a position where I got to do some extra study on that and try to make a contribution.
9: Well, this is Easter Day as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel reading is from John chapter 20. Would you read it for us? Early on the first day of the week,
8: while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him.
9: Chris, we look forward to hearing your Easter sermon entitled Veritas. Thanks for being with us. Peter, it's my pleasure. And if you'd like to listen again to today's program or read or share a transcript of Chris Keller's Easter sermon, visit our website at dayone.org. Or for a free printed sermon transcript, call us toll-free at 888-411-DAY1.
8: of 1979 I left Harvard for the priesthood 24 years old newly married and had been a first-year graduate student working towards a PhD in American history A restless student less interested in history than I thought I'd be something else was pulling me i had been raised in church my father was a bishop now I wondered if God was calling me to ministry Not knowing quite how to sort that out, it occurred to me to sit down and read the New Testament, which I had never done before in one sitting. Of the Gospels, it was the Gospel according to St. John that struck me. Scene after scene, it invited belief that in Jesus Christ, the world was face to face with God. I wanted to believe that. My heart said yes. Now my head was bothered by a question. These things the Bible said concerning Jesus, were they true? So, why weren't we discussing them at Harvard? History seminar, Christ was seldom mentioned. A little anxious, I began to poke around the Cambridge bookstores, sampling scholarly perspectives on the history of the Gospels. results were mixed. Randomly, I opened a book by Michael Grant, Jesus, an Historian's Review of the Gospels, which fueled my doubts. A Harvard friend recommended Hans Küng's on being Christian, which I found reassuring. And I revisited C.S. Lewis, who so confidently reinforces St. John's message. Lewis readers are re-invited to believe that in Christ, the Lord above had visited our world. I decided to accept that invitation. I believed. It was a leap of faith because the evidence was inconclusive. belief in Christ seemed reasonable enough, historically, but a reasonable person or institution could also choose to disregard him. Evidently, that's what Harvard had decided. Originally, Harvard's university motto had been Veritas Pro Christo Ecclesia, truth for Christ and his church. It had long since been clipped to Veritas, truth. In faith, I was pressing forward where Harvard had stepped back. And now, as Harvard went, so goes our country. Church attendance is shrinking, and polls show that unbelief is on the rise. My ministry has been a 35-year swim against that tide. There's a suggestion going around the church that beliefs are not especially important because what matters is practice or behavior think that's nonsense because beliefs themselves are consequential. Christian belief has played no small part in the history of our nation. Pilgrim settlers, Yankee abolitionists, and Southern pioneers for civil rights were acting on their creeds, to name just three examples. Race Christian belief from American experience, and the change would be dramatic. Just as if one could magically replay our history with belief in liberty and rights extracted. We can prove that by just one man, Martin Luther King. Take away his Christian faith or his belief in the U.S. Constitution. Either way, we are left with a different man and an altered history. So, beliefs are important. In the Apostles' Creed, we say that we believe that Jesus' painful death was followed by a miracle. We believe in God the Father Almighty. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, He rose again. I do believe it. If I didn't, I wouldn't swim against the tide. It seems obvious to me that for the truth of Christian faith, the resurrection is decisive. It either happened or not. If not, My vocation is misguided and almost everything I preach and teach is wrong. On the other hand, if God truly raised Jesus from the dead, then by its change of motto, Harvard was moving counter to a force far stronger than the tides. So either Harvard goofed or I did. To the Corinthians, St. Paul wrote that if the resurrection is not true, then Christians are, of all people, the most to be pitied. On that small point, I disagree with Holy Scripture, and again I point to Dr. King. His resurrection hope impresses me as admirable, not pitiful, even if it were mistaken. I agree with Blaise Pascal. Faith is a good bet. What we might lose by being wrong is less than what we gain by being on the money. With Dr. King in mind, it seems to me that even were we wrong, we may be the better for it. What is this resurrection, and why do I believe it? We will start with what, then turn to why. The Bible and creeds inform us that, in Christ, God himself was crucified. Good Friday is God's descent into our darkness, and Easter is Jesus' rise out of darkness into light. God descends that humanity may rise. This is an old, old Christian doctrine. As a parish priest, I have had a front-row seat to faithful people's sins and struggles. That old doctrine bathes these problems in hopeful light. In Romans, Paul portrays baptism as a kind of death and resurrection. We have been buried with Christ, he writes, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. There is a dying and rising rhythm to Christian life. Sins and struggles, which are expected, are prelude to something similar to resurrection. I say similar advisedly because Paul is using an analogy. He speaks of our dying and rising in relation to its source in Christ, which is a dying and rising of a higher order. Sometimes I hear colleagues speak as though our ethical or existential changes are the what of Easter. This upsets me. Such talk collapses Paul's analogy, losing sight of its source and the miraculous event that changes everything. Jesus was dead, and then he wasn't. I understand this to have been an actual, factual, I dare say literal occurrence. Keith Ward, the Oxford philosopher, agrees and insists that for humankind the nature of this truth is pivotal. writes, It is only if the resurrection is actual that the life of a crucified man can show not just that self-sacrifice has a certain tragic, useless nobility, but that being itself is to be trusted, since death, however cruel, is not the end. I believe that. Why? Part of it is history. I do understand the resurrection as an historical event, though some fine historians will say otherwise. The Armade McCulloch, for example, has written that the resurrection is not a matter which historians can authenticate. It's a different sort of truth or statement about truth. Yes, it is a different sort of truth, but it is a truth that is said to have once appeared in history. Borrowing the phrase from T.S. Eliot, the resurrection was a moment in and out of time. Raymond Brown, the great Catholic biblical historian, said that this is why scholars should investigate it. Brown did investigate it, deciding, as he put it, that the biblical evidence, even when reevaluated by current scientific methods, continues to favor the idea of a bodily resurrection. Brown wrote that in 1974 in a little book titled The Virginal Conception and Bodily Resurrection of Jesus. More recently, important books by N.T. Wright, Craig Keener, and Christopher Bryan have come to the same conclusion. The Christian claimed that Jesus' resurrection was an actual event, needs solid historical support, and it has it. So history is important. But the reasonableness of Easter faith also draws from non-historical material, which is important, too, because all knowledge is connected. Truth isn't like a box of straws. One isolated tube for science, and one for math, and another one for history. It is like a spider web, each segment connected to the others in a complex pattern. Belief in Easter fits within this wider web of belief and knowledge. To illustrate that point, I am thinking now about America, beginning with Thomas Jefferson and John Adams founding faith in a purposeful creator, to whom the rights, liberty, and happiness of human beings is important. And Abraham Lincoln's conviction that for the wrong of slavery, the United States had fallen under divine judgment. Martin Luther King's trust that the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. Connect some dots. Given the founder's creator and Lincoln's judge, King's belief in history's moral bent is logical no great leap to faith in Jesus' resurrection. This is the kind of intervention we could expect from a morally concerned creator whose eye is on the happiness of humans keeps a hand on history. Philosophers call this holistic epistemology. One belief is supported by the others and all are strengthened by the whole. Support is mutual. Christ's resurrection validates our noblest American convictions, proving that our founders' revolutionary dreams were more than power plays or wishful thinking. We truly onto something, as was Lincoln when he asked the crowd listening to his famous Cooper Union speech to trust that right makes might, and in that faith to dare to do their duty. With Christ in mind, we see the dying and rising rhythm in our national life. We expect the sins and struggles as prelude to something similar to resurrection. As we saw with Dr. King, Easter faith builds hope for American renewal. Many and varied, then, are the reasons to believe in Jesus' resurrection, and they come at us from all directions. When I was young and considering the priesthood, I didn't see this. Thank God I didn't need to. My heart was hopeful. For me, that was just about enough convincing. still is. Carol Bart said, God doesn't convince us to believe by arguments. Rather, God persuades by giving us joy. He gives us joy by being beautiful. My childhood until now, I've never doubted that the Easter gospel is a thing of beauty. John shows us Mary at the tomb, disconsolate. The stranger standing there, she whimpers, They've taken my Lord, and I don't know where to find him. Mary stands for everyone who was ever hopeless. She doesn't know it. She is face to face with God. Stranger answers. Mary. And her eyes are opened. Who imagined truth would be so beautiful? Almighty God, who through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, overcame death, open to us the gate of everlasting life. Grant that we who celebrate with joy the day of the Lord's resurrection may be raised from the death of sin by your life-giving spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
1: Sherry Miller, why should you support the Day One radio ministry? Because it's helping countless people like you. For instance, Brenda, a listener in Pennsylvania, says, Every Sunday, Day One gives me a message I can carry throughout my week. Mike in Minnesota says, There's not another program like Day One. It allows you to hear the word of God from so many gifted voices. Please, Give generously so Day One can continue to proclaim this much-needed message on the radio and online. Mail your gift to Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia 30305. That's 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia 30305. Or call us at 1-888-411-DAY1. Or give securely online at day1.org. On behalf of everyone at day one, thank you for your support. Now Chris Keller offers some final reflections on today's message with our host, Peter
9: Wallace. Chris, you shared a bit of your own journey toward belief, and you approached it in an interesting way. It was a battle between your heart and your head, and both won. And you decided to accept the invitation. You believe, And yet we see our culture moving steadily away from faith. Of course, different people find different paths to faith, despite the cultural shift. As you put it, we swim against the tide. How might this reality influence the ways we talk with others about our faith in this culture. Well, I think that your point is well taken. That
8: uh, I, I really I don't think that the that the drift away from faith in our culture is primarily uh, led by the intellect. Mm-hmm. I think it's led by uh, habit, frankly. It's uh, changing habits, and uh, it's more of a drift than it is a rejection mm-hmm. of the Christian faith. Um, but the intellectual questions are always there. I, I quoted Bart that, uh, that God doesn't convince us To believe by arguments But rather persuades us By giving us joy And gives us joy By being beautiful mm-hmm. What draws people to faith First and foremost I usually, I think is usually uh power of witness From other people Seeing something good In people who are of faith And being drawn to the goodness In that witness Um or sometimes it might be kind of a directly spiritual, mystical type experience, like C.S. Lewis surprised by joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that those are the primary ways that the church reaches people. But then, as happened with me, when you're drawn to it, then you then the questions start to to rise. And you want to know, well, does this make sense and can, can it be true? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the, the church needs to be ready with the um, Aquinas saw theology's role in that was to remove stumbling blocks mm-hmm. and to and to help with the questions we don't put an end to the questions we're just not made that way but uh, but to be ready with uh, an understanding of how these how you know, the important questions that uh, that we have have been in many cases have been thought through in helpful ways centuries ago
9: and in other cases just recently and you helped us wrestle with two key questions concerning faith. What is the resurrection and why do I believe? For the what, you put it simply, Jesus was dead and then he wasn't. You understand this to have been an actual, factual, even literal occurrence. So then the why question, why do you believe that? Would you say more about how each of us might wrestle with this why question, why believe in the resurrection?
8: I'm not sure whether this is true for all people in all times and places, but it seems to be true for us that the first piece of that is an historical question is the evidence there in and around the bible that would give us reason to suppose that this is not just a made-up story
7: uh, or an
8: hallucination that some people had Mm -hmm. and um, the scholarship around that is helpful to faith in that it 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 gives us strong reason to recognize that it's not a made-up story that in fact the, uh, the biblical material which we all know wasn't written you know, the next day, it was it unfolded over a period of decades, but it was still, for in terms of ancient history, very close to its source. The uh, the other thing that I said in my sermon, though, is that is that there are other ways in which our knowledge of other things or our beliefs about other things come to bear on the question of the resurrection. And, um, and uh, John Henry Newman talked about these things in terms of antecedent probabilities that when you start with a belief that the world makes sense that that that, that uh, it didn't just happen by accident uh, when you uh, when you believe things like Abraham Lincoln did that there's an objective difference between right and wrong and it's just not just what the body politic decides is right and wrong there's something behind that by which the body politic must be judged. When you start adding two or three of those beliefs together you start coming uh, t- together with a, a a notion of a very purposeful universe, and the resurrection is so consistent with that. And, in fact, it validates it.
9: Chris Keller, the Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Peter.
1: Day One is the Voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever.
2: i to get you on that.
7: Radio two point one.
2: I want the people to know that it
4: saved my soul, but I feel like to listen to the radio. They say something all is wrong. will give you one more chance. They say, feel so good, I gotta get up and dance. I know what's right, I know what's wrong. I don't do-
5: This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
4: Jack, the new guy, looked like an unmade bed. Slacks with no crease, shoes scuffed, hair messy. The guy's shirt style was perfect for ten years ago. Yet other than his rumpled appearance, the new guy looked to be on the fast track. The bosses gave him one plum assignment after another. This confused Jack, and he challenged the manager. It's simple, the boss said. This guy's work is outstanding best on the team. You can help someone look good. It's hard to find someone who is good. This is Howard Budd Jr. of Laity Lodge. It's true that looks matter, but our ultimate goal is performance. Appearances can deceive, but excellence never will in the high calling of our daily work.
1: Over there, over there's the water, whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks, teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, (laughs) she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Find out how at PornLearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council.
5: Looking for a lift? Experience A Seed from the sore with Michael Guido of Metter, Georgia.
0: One night I saw an old friend who was so lit up that I could read by him. He was staggering from car to car and I asked, are you lost? No, he mumbled, but my car is. There are many like him who are lost, and they won't admit it. If you have wandered away from the Lord, you're lost, but you don't have to find him. He has come to find you. You're no further than one step from him. That one step is turning around. When you turn around, you find yourself in the arms of Christ, who loves you and longs to save
5: you. Turn around now. For your free copy of Dr. Guido's daily devotional, Seeds from the Sower, write The Sower, Mecca, Georgia, 304-39.
1: Visit us on the web at thesower.com.
2: This is Morning Inspirations
5: with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
6: Thank you
7: The framers of the Constitution provided for a cabinet to be advisors to the president of the nation. They recognized that it would be beyond the ability and wisdom of any man to conduct the affairs of the government without counsel. For the conduct of most business enterprises and institutions of every kind, similar provisions are made for executive committees and boards of directors to advise their governing heads. No man is considered sufficient unto himself carrying on such undertakings, no matter how capable and wise he may be. Author John R. Gunn writes that greater than all other enterprises is the business of life. Here, as elsewhere, none of us is so all-knowing and all-wise that he does not need the counsel of others. Although it is well that we should think for ourselves, it is not safe to be too secure in our own wisdom and judgment. There may be a situation in which you are so closely involved as to cause your opinion and decision to be prejudiced. At such a time, it would be well to seek the unbiased counsel of one whose wisdom and judgment you respect. For our safety and the success of our purposes in life and business, all of us, old and young alike, need the benefit of a multitude of counselors. You will find this multitude in the Bible. Here, men and women of many centuries will teach you the errors which are fatal and the choices which are right. They and this marvelous book all point to the ultimate source of wisdom and counsel, our loving God and Father. Turn to him in prayer. Be Still and Know, produced for the Presbyterian Church in the United States, closes with these words from Proverbs. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established.
10: And I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart. And I invite you into my life. To be my Savior. And my Lord. I believe Jesus. You are the Son of God. I believe you died for me. I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Hallelujah.
11: Say. 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 Oh, well, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Turned around Have you forsaken God, your, Lord, your, Lord, sin? your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken Lord. your sin? Are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus, Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way, there is no other message. For there is no other way, there is no other message. Oh, come to Him. Come to the Saviour tonight. Come to Him just as you are. Come to Him in your sin. Come to Him in all your needs. And cast yourself upon His mercy and upon His infinite grace. And cast yourself your upon His mercy and, mercy. and upon His upon infinite his, grace. Cast yourself wholly to Him. And you too will enter into that joy of sin forgiven, peace with
1: and eternal, abundant life. How can
2: I say things?
3: you enjoyed the program. Hope you enjoyed the program this morning. We'll be back on Good Friday. So then, God bless you. Have a wonderful and blessed day and a blessed holy week.